This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. We- and then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. I'm... I'm blessed. Yeah? I'm blessed. Well, my wife is blessed, and as a result, I am blessed. What's going on? Well, I, <laughs> I've i wrecked more cars than Burt Reynolds did in Smoking the Bandits oh. 1, 2, 3, and 4 this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This year? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I took out a, uh, a Mercedes mm. uh, van. Oh my, oh, my God. That I was driving, totaled it. Uh, I on wrecked purpose? my beautiful. No, well, not on purpose, but uh, <laughs> you know. And, and I just, I'm a. I have to admit, I'm a bad driver, and uh, so I, I also, you know, misjudged a, a left and got dinged in my front driver's side door, and uh, had to pay out a guy who driving a, um, you know, one of those big uh, tow trucks, and uh, that was uh, a lot. And then. Uh, my my wife handed me a letter from the Beverly Hills Traffic Court, and I got a red light camera infraction. Oh, I saw you tweet about that today. Yes, That's yes, hilarious. I did. And uh, but of course, I took it like a man. Uh huh. I sat my wife down and explained to her that we basically have no future um, financially. Oh, no. We're ruined. Uh, please give up all hope. And uh, she proceeded to, uh, as my grandmother would say, crown me with the reality of like, dude, get a grip. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention. Uh, yeah, and New then your story, your Maggie, your luggage story oh. of of you and Chad getting your luggage, you know, occupied for a few hours. Right? Yeah. Here's the here's the the rundown of that. Yeah, we were yeah. in San Francisco, which is apparently like the break-in capital of the United States right now. We didn't oh. we didn't know. No. Had dinner. Thirty minutes later, all of a sudden, our car alarm was going off, and sure enough, they took the luggage out of the back. Little did they know if they had like gone into the front seat or like the back seat, they would have found my guitar and his mm-hmm. like gun and like a lot more stuff. That you know what I mean? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. So yeah. they got sweatpants and. Well, the reason Makeup. I bring this up is because your attitude around it was like the yeah, good then, news is. I know, but then it was returned. Like yeah. they just dropped it off, and two different good citizens yeah. uh, called the luggage tag, and mm-hmm. we were able to retrieve our luggage. And I'll tell you, it's so weird when you're sitting around for like an hour and a half, and you're like, "Oh man!" Like it's not a big deal. It's just like shoes and makeup, you know. Nothing's a big Nothing deal. Nothing is a bit. It's not a big deal. And then you get it back, and all of a sudden you're like, "Wow, my makeup is amazing!" Like it's so. That's great. what I loved about yeah. that story is that you know i i still find myself in this weird place of like doom and gloom when it's like dude life is just life you Mm -hmm. know and so when i say i'm blessed my wife is blessed she keeps me grounded i'm very happy in my relationship i'm so glad but i'm still punishing myself with my biannual pack of american spirits which is today's sponsor american (laughs) spirit yellow it's like inhaling regular air with a little bit of a heavier tone okay Sorry. Well, the the voice that you're hearing laughing along with us. <laughs> I was hanging back. I thought I that's. A, I thought that was my job. Like, you're merging nicely. This is uh, this is this. I'm so excited to introduce you because that trip that we did take to Napa was uh, postponed. Well, not postponed. We took a trip to Napa, but it made us postpone this episode. And I'm very excited to introduce writer, producer, fine arts lover, Troy Devald. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for getting me out of my home. <laughs> and and I must say also, like, Full Sail University's finest representative, because Troy, as, a, as an alumni of Full what Sail. What a plug. No, what I mean it, man. Plug. Well, there's plug. a method to my madness, but... Uh, you're you're affiliated, obviously. Your career in Los Angeles started with a lot of help from Full Sail, right? Yes, yeah. uh, I, I graduated from there in '96, moved out here in 2000, and was off to the races. And and I've met so many people who mention Full Sail, and mm-hmm. I mention, oh, do you happen to know Troy Devold? Yes, and our last guest, our last yeah. guest, yeah. and Morgan, people in yeah. the back the of my lovely Uber. Dia Morgan. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a, a a nice legacy. It's a nice place to be from. Yeah, obviously. So tell me a little bit about this book that you wrote that everyone's talking about called Reality TV. Well, several years ago, I was in a bookstore and there were a hundred books on screenwriting uh, and no books on writing for reality television. I had a buddy of mine named Rick Veers, who is one of the leading sound effects designers in the world. He'd written a book for MWP, 
He said, you should talk to them. I talked to them. I had a book. NWP, that's the rap group from Compton? Uh, <laughs> what? Mike, Michael Weezy Productions. <laughs> oh. I've never heard Michael and Ken rap, the guys that rap, but I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're terrific. I'm sure they're terrific. Because, and this kind of spawned because you started, well, you started with MTV first, is, is what I, I did. My very, my very first gig was uh, I was working on a show for MTV called Fear. Uh, went from that into the Osbournes. The Osbournes. And, well, now, what did you do? Did you work with well, the I started family at, or like? Well, I started at Fear. The, the last job I had before I moved to California was I was an executive assistant to the president of one of the Time Warner companies. And I thought, well, I'm going to come out here and work for Warner Brothers as an executive assistant. That's going to get me in the door. Halfway across the country, I pulled into this motel that was just just like a cinder block nightmare where you get your keys through a slot from an undershirt that doesn't have <laughs> yeah. a face. Uh, it was that kind of place. Uh, we had the board with the nail in the room, not a joke. Yeah. I guess that was the, the security system at the motel. Uh, and I saw the very first episode of the show called Fear on MTV. The only name I knew in Los Angeles, I saw his name whip by at the end of the show. And I said, well, I better give him a call. And I ended up on that guy's couch, Cristo Garcia. Uh-huh. And I couch. started out as a logger <laughs> transcriber. What does that mean for those that are not? Well, I would watch tape from seven o'clock at night until three in the morning, and just it would be like ten fifty. They open the door. Ten fifty one. So and so falls down the stairs, and uh, would feed that to the story department. So you you actually a logging of the show means that you you create in chronological order exactly everything that an actual document that just goes minute by minute and says this is what's happening here, this is what's happening here. And I worked with the story department. I used to come in about an hour early, two hours early. And the guy that was the executive producer would say, like, why are you here? Like, you don't start until 7. I said, if you never see my face, I'm going to be doing this forever. And he thought that was hilarious. Mm. And by the end of the first season, I had gone from an entry-level position to I was one of the producers Mm -hmm. on the last episode of the season. And I just stayed in reality TV ever since. This whole idea that I was going to come out here and be a screenwriter and all these great things were going to happen. Uh, it just took me down a totally different road. Wow. And it's been great. It's 20 years uh, next year. Jeez. And then you worked on Survivor after that. I did not. What? Where did I read that and why is it false? I don't know. You, you can never trust a Wikipedia entry. You know? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, I just, I, I was here the same year that Survivor booted up. And that's oh. that. what happened was is everybody who was in reality TV at that time, when reality blew up in that in that particular wave- it was like getting into a pneumatic tube at a bank. You just go, boom, and then all of a sudden you're a producer because there weren't enough people to make the the number of reality shows that were in production. So it was a great time to come out and get involved in that. So it was a pretty pretty quick rise, uh, and again, it's it's been wonderful. Yeah. Can I oh, then tell me if this is true or not? Because I also read this, but you are an antique TV remote collector. I am. I, I have every television remote that was put out by RCA Zenith Magnavox from 1954 through 1980. Wow. Wow. Yeah. How did and that I have a start? lot of other little oddball things. Well, you know, it's a, I don't have the room to collect televisions. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as anyone, Wait, they had remotes in 1954. They certainly did. They wow. used to, they used to ping. The funny thing is, is there there were no batteries involved. You. You would press down, and the reason you used to call them clickers was because they get ting. Like when you pr- when you press to change the channel, it would strike a forty thousand cycle steel rod, and your television would hear that. And the only reason that technology died was because somebody dropped a fork in a kitchen, I guess, and changed the channel on their television, and they oh, went, "Oh well, that's, that's not perfect." Funny. That's oh, interesting. Funny. Yeah, the very first one was almost like a flashlight, the Zenith Flashmatic. You would shine it in the corners of your television, and the receptors would change the channel or change the volume. And if sunlight moved across your living room, it was like you had a poltergeist in your house. What What is the difference between your average television watcher? So many of us can like say, I grew up on the Brady Bunch or, you know, whatever their particular generation of show is, Degrassi Junior High, what have yeah. you, versus a person who not only, I, I television was a, as much a part of your life, I'm sure, as it oh, was sure. ours. But to, to find your way into it and intimately into it and then becoming an author about it, yeah. what, what, what do you think sets you apart, people like you apart from the rest of us? I don't know, except I don't think we date as much as other people. <laughs> when, I was in, when I was in high school, I was a cartoonist. I never left the house unless you chased me out with a rake. Uh-huh. You know, okay. Yeah. And uh, it was just, uh, television was always something I was into, and Nick at Night <gasps> yes. became a thing mm-hmm. uh, when I was younger, and it was that sort of thing like, oh, what's this show? What's this show? What's this show? 
And uh, it just all sort of snowballed to the point where I can't have a conversation with normal human beings because, you know, you, not a lot of women you meet on Match.com know who Nat Hyken was. Well, we're honored that you're here with yeah. us. Exactly. <laughs> we're not so, either. Uh, what was home like life for you? Where did you grow up and what was your home life like it was that great. You kept know, you in so You know much? how people have, have such terrible stories about their home lives as oh, children? Oh, of course. What's your terrible story? <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, I had great parents. I had, a, I had a father that introduced me to Spike Jones and a mother who taught me to be a very polite young person mm-hmm. and uh that has continued through to this day so mr please and thank you and i'm sorry and and staying let, home me, was... and let me tell you a funny story i heard about the merv griffin show kind of hey. yeah that's kind of wow. and and you and mom and dad is that it at home uh no i have a, a sister mm-hmm. uh melissa she's a she is teaching school in mm-hmm. florida mm-hmm. Uh, very close to where we grew up uh and that's it that's the fam last question on this subject for me anyway um what were you collecting in high school that would be akin to your collection of remotes today? Anything at all? What were you into? Well, I was I was very heavily into autograph collecting. There was oh. a, a guy named Chuck Heisel that I had met that, that got me going on it. Mm-hmm. So it, it was any any money that I made doing anything uh, when I was in high school. It was like there's other kids that are like they're saving up because they're going to get a video game console or somebody's mm-hmm. going to get this or somebody's going to get this. And I'm just like, you know, this is the week that I'm going to go back and get that autographed picture of Myrna Loy and William Powell from The Thin Man. <laughs> Do you still have that? And this that is going to be great. I have some of it. Uh, I have, I collected that and I was very heavy, heavy into art in my 20s. Uh, and whenever I was between shows, I would sell a little art and sell a little bit of the autograph collection. And now I'm finally down to the point where I don't, uh, I don't have a lot in the storage unit. Mm anymore so it's all sort of depleted or been converted back into cash for you know the documentary projects or just to get through the lean spots interesting so yeah cool wow well i'm so excited to get into your song shall we do it song number one number one all right your first y tune Where does this take you? This ta- this takes me back to uh, the, the the very early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had always been a very big fan of like big band stuff. I was always 40 or 50 years behind myself, and somehow I managed to get a a, a 45 of this and a 45 of Blondie's Heart of Glass from somebody in the same afternoon. That they're like, you got to start listening to stuff that's. Of your generation, yeah, it's like I shouldn't I shouldn't know the lyrics to the Gidget theme as, as you know, an eleven year old in nineteen eighty, uh, and it's just it was such an amazing time because I was you're just you're just in that preteen space where like everything is amazing to you. MTV launched and it was the most incredible, fascinating, wonderful thing. Yeah, for me because it it, it was a world I really didn't know anything about. I didn't know anything about it from the radio because I wasn't listening to contemporary pop at all and this was kind of the thing like oh well hey yeah the, the current stuff doesn't suck <laughs> and i so, can watch just it so you know yeah. like a little nugget for you this wasn't on the radio in the u.s this was not a u.s hit at all it yeah. was over in the uk and then some dj in florida was like hey this is cool i heard it on i can't remember what show yeah. or movie but he was like, this is cool, and that's how it got popular. That's very cool. Yeah. And I'll tell you, too. You weren't if, behind. You I wasn't behind. behind. And I'll tell you, a couple, just a couple quick things about this song. Uh, Video Killed the Radio Star, there's a there's a version of it on YouTube that they played in 2003 or four for a big BBC televised event. They sound every bit as good as they ever did. Awesome. And there's a there's also a, a cover that Postmodern Jukebox does. Yes. With Michael Cuneo, who's an incredible vocalist, and it's 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 in the style of Queen. Uh, and I, I, it's just this is one of those songs that like if I'm alone in a car, I will cry when this comes on. Uh huh. I like, love those is, kinds of it songs. It is that it is that far. It's got its hooks that far deep into me. Well, because just... my career also, I mean, my career that I have now started. On MTV, where I had seen this all those years before. Well, see, that's that's where I'm I'm fascinated around people like yourself that like you know just they they go into the television almost literally they become a part of that mm-hmm. world you yeah. know with the with the books and with the career and with all of that stuff. What what kind of where where did you watch MTV in the house and were you could you watch it 24 hours were you relegated to time by your parents. 
I could watch just about all of it that I wanted. Yeah. Uh, I I was in Zanesville, Ohio, in southeastern mm-hmm. Ohio. Uh, mm-hmm. As Martin Mull remembers it, the uh, this is where the location of the Center for Caucasian Study in America, according to uh, <laughs> the history of white people in America, his HBO special. Uh, and it's, it's I would watch MTV. I would watch Soul Train on Saturday morning because it came on after the cartoons. We had a stereo link where you could turn on your stereo yes. in your house and listen to. Back then, yeah, yeah. you could wow. watch it, you know, and you could just just listen to. It was fantastic. Heaven. Who was your best friend? Absolutely at the time? wonderful. A guy named Scott Reevely. <laughs> what was Scott like? And uh, <laughs> Scott Reevely was great. Uh, Scott Reevely was the guy that was like, he he was really into the saint. Ah, and he would literally in our in our fourth grade classroom, like periodically, would just out of nowhere just go, and I would giggle on the other side of the room, and it was like for the for those that don't know, the Saint was a television show. Please tell tell us the the Saint was like an early sort of secret agent TV show, James Bond type thing. Yeah, very much like that. We we'd watch that and the Dukes of Hazard, and as if they were. Opera. Like we were so. <laughs> what an incredible! Did you see when? Did you see when Tom Wopat punched that guy and he went out the window? That's so great. Yeah. Was he um as into music as you were? No. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, is I was I was never into music that I could talk about when I was young because there wasn't there was no commonality. Um, like I, I would find I got into disco. After disco was interesting. Uh, I was a big fan of Earth, Wind, and Fire, which you find now as an adult, you know, I know the woman that wrote half the I Am album. Wow. Uh, this woman named Allie Willis, who you should have on the show if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my goodness. But it's just that was the kind of stuff I was, you know, I, I, I was dragged out of the 40s into the 70s in the early 80s. And then I think I'm. I think I'm pretty well caught up. <laughs> was that because of your parents? Were they putting on records? And- well, my mother, went, my I went to visit my grandfather, mm-hmm. and we found my mother's old record player in the attic and a huge box of her old 45s. Cool. And I would listen to stuff, and the 45s were a mix of the things that she was listening to and what her parents were listening to. Oh, wow. So it's like I could be listening to Lawrence Welk or Liberace or, <laughs> as I said, the theme song from Gidget on the Colpix label. Mm-hmm. It was a very strange childhood but I, I loved it and what I was mean, your mom listening to my mom i can't remember what they were listening to i remember getting in trouble for listening to uh the sex life of the primate which was a uh oh, shelly berman shelly berman <laughs> shelly berman album uh with uh golly who all else jerry stiller and ann mira were on it and uh, i can't remember the last woman's name wow something goodwin good something i have to claim my moniker hollywood secret weapon <laughs> which is the nickname i've been given by our intern staff and our host here at uh, Y-Tune Shuffle, because I name drop mercilessly and and, and uh, experience drop all the time. I was fortunate enough to have a luncheon with Yarmy's Army. That is is that not the most amazing experience of all yeah, time? And these, the Yarmy's Army is a collection of the old '70s and '60s television stars, of which Shelley Berman was a big part of. Yeah, and and his thing, this guy Shelley Berman, who was like a comedy album guy. Yeah. And um, you know your proteges, the people like your your mm-hmm. Christmas song, a very nasty Christmas song, <laughs> dirt, very you. dirty. Uh, you know these are the these are the same people doing the stuff you're doing today. And and Shelley Berman uh, has this propensity whenever he's telling a story to start crying. Yes, and he he literally start. It's true, right? He's a, he's a wildly emotional person. Yeah. I worked a Yarmy show. Oh, you did the year before I moved Dick to Yarmy. L.A. Yeah. Uh, who was Don Yarmy's brother? Yeah. Don was Don Adams of Get Smart. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. And the show that I worked, I can remember standing in the wings with Harvey Corman holding my shoulders while Shelley Berman is on stage and just thinking like like no one has is having an experience like this. And and I felt the same way when I was having lunch because I, at that time I was friends with then mayor Richard Reardon oh. who was a big um you know sure. m- m- uh, TV lover and these guys and we all had to stand up and tell a funny story. Mm-hmm. And this was in a back room at an Italian place on Santa Monica. I can't remember the name of it, but it was one of the most knee-buckling things. And, and they were so generous and so nice, and yuck, yuck, yuck. And Corman was <laughs> Harvey Corman was there, and yeah. Dick was there, and Don, Don Adams was there. Yeah. They were all bashing uh, Andy Andy um, Dick. Oh. Because they did the reboot of Get Smart and Andy Dick, I guess. You know. Well, I, I'm out here because of that event. I, I moved to California because I was backstage having a conversation with Chuck McCann, and another guy, uh, Ron Carey, that you might remember as the Italian lieutenant that was mm-hmm. on uh, mm-hmm. 
on Barney Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were talking about moving to California, and and Chuck McCann literally was like, "This is my number. Like, if you're ever starving to death, call this number." It's weird, right? Yeah. Accessible people. Yeah. So yeah. I got I, I I moved here in time to I, I I spotted him having dinner at Bob's Big Boy with a bunch of his friends one night, yes. and I realized it was his birthday. So I picked up the tab for the table, and went over and I said. Chuck, you probably don't remember me. I said, I met you at a Yarmy show in Tampa, Florida. I said, I just wanted to let you know I picked up the tab tonight. Happy birthday. Thank you for everything. I'm 10 shows deep into my career. And if you and Ron hadn't told me that it was time to, you know, to get out here and really try, I wouldn't have come. What a generous wow. thing. Yeah. And, and just, it's those kinds of gestures that Troy made by going up to a group of very wealthy men, paying for their lunch that led him today to our studios here at Y2 Shuffle. Yes. <laughs> the creme de la creme show. I'm kidding. Yes. That, that's your amenge. That's beautiful. Yeah. Cool story. Well, I know we mentioned it already, but here is your song number two. Boom. Woo. The, the, Earth, Wind, and Fire, September. What's up with that? It's Why good stuff. It is. <laughs> it's good stuff. Before I moved to California, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to give you as much setup as possible. Yes. Do it. Before I moved to California, Lily Tomlin came through wow. Tampa. Really? And she was workshopping a, a reboot of um, Search for Int- Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. And I would, had been a big fan of hers. I was trying to send scripts to Murphy Brown. There was a woman I knew on that show named Janice Hirsch. And I was like, I'm coming to California. I want to be a writer. Da, da, da. And I was going to leave a note for Lily Tomlin backstage uh, at the Tampa Performing Arts Center. So the security guy says, well, she's right there. And she goes, I'm right where? And she's like at the end of the hallway. And she talked to me for maybe 45 minutes. Wow. And I said, "What's the what? What do I have to do when I move to Los Angeles? Like, 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 what's what's great about it? What have you loved about it?" And she said, "Well, she says, tells me lots of these different things." And she says, and, and also she says, "You have to to find out. You have to find Allie Willis." And oh we were having this conversation, gosh. and I was like, "Oh, that's amazing!" And I, it, as it turned out, the first place I rented when I moved to California was two blocks away from the house that Lily was moving out of. Lily Tomlin. Yeah, that she was up in Laughlin Park, and I was on off of Serrano, which is like right around the corner from there wow. up by the AFI. And uh, I looked up Allie Willis one night while I was at work on Fear, and she had designed the website for Lily Tomlin, this, this kind of crazy Flash website. And I started really researching Allie, and she's such a fascinating yeah. person. So years later, in 2008, I've been in reality TV for a while. I'm getting ready to th- I'm like... Well, what's a great, what would be a, who would be a great person to do a show about? So I got in touch with Allie Willis and I went over and met her and talked to her. And I've always been, I had always been a little bit of a mousy inward guy. Like I'm not a, I'm not an overpronounced personality. My clothes do all the talking for me. (laughs) I wear these kind of outrageous jackets and colors and crazy things. And once I met Allie Willis, Allie's big hook was that she never knew how to read, write, or play music. She always collaborated on pieces. Mm. And she had co-written September as part of a, a number of songs that she had, had done with Earth, Wind, and Fire. And just the story of how she had gotten there was yeah. so interesting to me. And the way that she pursues her life, she has these very unusual pursuits outside of music. She taught herself how to paint and has had this huge career as Bubbles the Artist as her alter ego. Um, She knows how to sculpt. She knows how to do all these kind of amazing things. And she's kind of the most unapologetic, I'm an artist, here's the thing I'm doing, like it or don't like it, and then when that's done, I'm going to do another thing. She she went to Detroit several years ago and and attempted a record. Uh, There's a song called We Sing the D that she wrote. That has literally thousands of people performing as artists on the song. I mean, it's the most incredible thing to listen to. Um, she's just the most amazing creative person. And whenever I'm feeling a little bit down or a little bit stuck or a little bit like maybe I need to be working a job instead of trying to do my own thing, mm-hmm. as I've been doing lately, I always think about Allie and it's like, what an amazing, you know, self made, self generated, self actualized, awesome you know, artist she's become. I mean, and it's just like, she's incredibly inspirational. And September, 
there are mornings I leave the house and I make myself a bet that I'm going to make it 24 hours without hearing September. <laughs> and I can't. I went to London and I walked into the hotel room at, at, at Rubens at the Palace and I opened the door and the television was playing September as I walked in. <laughs> and I was just like, you just can't get through a day without hearing something she's written. That's amazing. She co- she co-wrote The Color Purple, the huge, you know, the, Broadway, the Broadway musical The Color Purple with uh, Brenda Russell uh, and Stephen Bray. Just an amazing Is there person. another nugget left to this song after all that information Troy gave us? What? Um, well, actually, that was, this was the first song that she wrote with Earth, Wind, and Fire, yep. which was very first song. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, I was hoping you'd dig more into it, because was it the show? that is that how you, you've met her, I'm assuming? I've met, I've met her, and I, I, I've been lucky enough to be you know, a friend of hers for many years. She throws the best parties awesome. you can imagine. As you just walk in the room, and you're like, oh, my God, that's... So yeah. and so, or mm-hmm. like, with I mean, just amazing themes and just wow. I don't know, just a just a really cool person. Yeah, and I was watching this interview with her, and she was talking about the experience of writing that song and how yeah. it was so spiritual for her, and how like the members of Earth, Wind, and Fire were telling her like, "Oh, you're very spiritual. You're a very spiritual person." They gave her these books to read, and she yeah. would like go, "I don't even know what this is." And it was for this song in particular, um, yeah. September. She was like, it was like 300, 400, 500 pages of lyrics yeah. that they were doing. I was just like, psh, blown away. Mm. Yeah. yeah, amazing. It's a, it's so much about, the song is so much about the experience of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an incredible lyricist, but September, if you if you really read it, on paper, you're kind of like, it, it's difficult to understand yeah. the mood of the song or what it, or what it is, but the experience of, of hearing it and it, it's executed, it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a mm-hmm. feeling in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Maurice White says that a lot of the song came to be because he was staying in Washington, D.C. in a hotel room and right below there was a bunch of protests going on, just all these people like throwing things and screaming and like um, it was just chaos and it just evolved out of that into this like joy thing that we experience it as Isn't now that it's like, amazing it's crazy oh we need a little bit of that today yeah. <laughs> she's still writing songs <laughs> <laughs> of course she's still good writing of songs. What, a, what a crazy question that is that's right. wow wow well thank you for sharing all that sure. um let's do song number three sweet start <laughs> mcmillan and wife yeah t- start by telling our younger listeners what that's all about mcmillan and wife was a television show that was part of <laughs> nbc had had a series of uh, uh, that, that was sort of like a, a mystery like nbc like sunday night mystery sort of thing and it was uh kind of an experiment because they were going to do a they were going to uh, the original plan i'm sorry i'm stumbling over myself the original plan for Macmillan and Wife was like McLeod and a lot of the other series that ran under that banner, Columbo, a lot of those things. Private detectives, basically. Yeah. They yeah. couldn't make 24 one-hour movies or, or 24 made-for-TV movies with the same cast in a year, which is how it became to be this sort of rotating mystery theater thing. It mm-hmm. was like one of, one of Lou Wasserman's big things ever at Universal. But that period in television fascinates me. But the thing about Macmillan and Wife... Is it's the exact feeling that you just said when you started? I cannot if I'm in a if I'm in a mood where I need to fall in love with Los Angeles ah, right away. Yes, I ah, yeah, like, yeah. I know that. Oh, like this is horrible, and I haven't worked in six months, and everything sucks, and it's awful. You get in the car and you put on this the theme to Macmillan and Wife. Macmillan and Wife. You roll the windows <laughs> down and you drive along the beach. And you go, I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> like this is amazing. And you get this great this great rush, this great feeling. This is it all comes from the same place. Like, you know, if you if if I need to feel better, I'm gonna go to Musso and Frank. Mm-hmm. Like it's yes. that sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. you wanna be tethered to the history of a city that you live in. Mm-hmm. And this is a great soundtrack to do that to. The, the soundtrack to Macmillan and Wife. And that's a question for all of us, you know, that that are out here and, and doing different things in the business, yeah. having to get rebooted to yeah. Los Angeles. What's that been like for you? What are how do you de- like this is well, one you know, way you deal with those types of yeah, things. Yeah, and it's it, well it's like my my career right now. I'm 36 projects into a career. Uh this That's has been 20 20 years. It. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that thing where there's there are periods of time in between where you're not working and every job you think is going to be your last job 
and you know I'm closing in on 50 mm-hmm. and I'm saying that like some terrible thing's going to happen but mm-hmm. it's like you know I notice the staffs on my shows get younger and younger mm-hmm. and I start getting questions like well we're not really sure how attuned you might be to a younger audience or a hip hop you know sort of sensibility or whatever and you're like oh my god like eventually like I'm going to be this old middle-aged white guy I, I say eventually I'm there. <laughs> I mean, I'm not planning to live to be a hundred, but if it happened, it would be middle age. <laughs> uh, but it, it's that thing where it just, you, you need to feel good about it. You need to feel connected to something bigger than whatever the, the project you just were on. Mm-hmm. It's the other reason why, you know, and I know David knows this. I am part of a, of a, of a, of a group with a lot of older producers and it's wonderful for me to hear their stories about what it was like working in the 60s, 70s, 80s um, and kind of get that continuity of generations going because that's also kind of like a, it's almost like an armor. It's like, these guys are okay. And they talk about, well, you know, I didn't work for a year when I was in my forties or I didn't start my own company until I was in my mid forties. And you're kind of like, okay, well then fine. I still, I have time. Mm-hmm. I understand what's going on. Cause right now we, I mean, we celebrate youth like crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, we've talked about, uh, had conversations before, at least with our mutual friend, a guy named Paul Kozlowski and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some other folks that it's sort of like comedy now, the joke is about the, about the job you have and don't like as opposed to the jobs you couldn't get, which is what comedy used to be about. Yeah. And it's very sort of snarky and self-involved and a little bit, <laughs> you know, check, <laughs> check me out. Um, and just, you know, you, you, when you get a bird's eye view of anything, it gets better. Mm-hmm. And to come back, come back to the fact that I'm on a show talking about music and not about all this craziness. Uh, the McMillan Wife theme is just, again, it's one of the it's one of the magic things. It conjures every image that Allison Martino has ever posted to the internet. I, I, I've never thought about my reboot to L.A. song, Maggie. What do you have? A, like, if you had to think of what's a song that reboots you to loving L.A., I, it just came to me what mine I think is. But do you? Do it. I can't. Yeah, I don't know. Hollywood Nights. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bob Seger, Hollywood Nights, nice. which yep. is a song I would play over and over again in my bedroom in upstate New York and really had no concept or idea of what Hollywood really was and a night in Hollywood. Yeah. And 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 having been here, I dare say, I've had some similar experiences to the lyrics of Hollywood Nights. Yeah, so, you know, that's your, Rand, that's your homework. Randy Newman's I Love L.A. is a pretty good one, too. As as silly and and, yeah, and, oh my and God. commercial and cheese as cheese <laughs> as cheese ball as you know the the cheesier it is I think cheese has a way of cracking the soul open mm-hmm. in very earnest ways yeah and it, it, if you can laugh at if you can laugh at the things that you love you'll you're only gonna love them I love L A yeah. Yeah. yeah dream car when you're driving dream car you hear that song any well, yeah I, I have a dream car but it makes no sense is I, I I want an old 1920s Rolls Royce Doctor's Coupe. Would that be the it's, big no, wheel very, on the side? No, it's very small. It's oh, a, really? It's very small. Uh, Neil Tennant drove one in. Um, golly, what was that series he just did? It was it was based on the Neil Gaiman did the adaptation. I don't. I have no idea. But this car, this this Rolls, it's a Rolls Royce. It's a Rolls Royce, but it's a much smaller, much smaller, sort of car. chubby little yeah. pistol like. Yeah, size. I don't have. I'm not into. I, I'm not the guy that wants to get old in a Ferrari. Nah, no, it's just like, yeah, it's just yeah. The funny, I just saw a guy yesterday, by the way, in in an old '60s, like an orange Fiat. Mm-hmm. He weighed about as much as the car and had a, <laughs> and had a cigar crammed in one side of his face, unlit. Uh-huh. And I was just sitting at the stoplight, like that guy has had a life in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes, 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 it's yes. Picture yes. him directing something. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Or you know, Phyllis <clears throat> Diller had a 1968 Excalibur Phaeton One. Would have loved that car. Had the big gangster headlamps on it. Mm. She had it converted so that it would uh, would drive with power steering. I shouldn't know these things. Oh, well. I shouldn't know them. That's so great. All I can think of for me is just like the radio station here in L.A. called K-Rock. Sure. If you're familiar with it. Like my, the home of Bingenheimer. <laughs> um, to me, it is such like an iconic station because I work in the radio business and mm-hmm. I've been following it f- since I was even before I was in radio. And so they're going through quite a transition right now. So like one of their morning show guys left, um, their midday girl just left. Um, they've been oh firing my. a lot of people. So to me, it's just like, oh, everything I know that's so iconic about L.A. is like disappearing. So when I think of like yeah. K-Rock, I'm like, that's that's my driving theme. Well, it's, 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 it's all it's all changing. And it's that thing where I realize that now I'm the guy that has the quaint story mm-hmm. about the show you used to watch when you were a kid. 
I just got a new phone on the way here, and the two guys behind the counter were looked me up somehow while we were doing this stuff, and they were like, "Oh my God, did you work on such and such a show?" And I'm like, "I love yeah, those moments." Twenty years ago, like, I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch that, and like when you were a kid, <laughs> that was ten minutes ago. <laughs> my babysitter introduced me to that. Yikes! Whee. Yikes! 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 Aha! Right. Here we go. Song number four. Good times and bum times. I've seen them all, and my dear, I'm still here. Plush velvet sometimes, sometimes just pretzels and beer, but I'm here. Elaine Stritch, I saw her on her very last tour when she came through and performed at Disney Hall, and she did an evening of just Sondheim pieces. Yes. And her memory was not all there. And Sondheim is super hard when you're completely together. Yeah, it is. But I, I've never seen I've never seen anyone with an audience more on their side. She would stop in the middle and she'd go, No! Start over. They did they paid for the whole song. I forgot this lyric and I'm gonna go back in and I'm gonna do that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I great. just remember those moments and how they tie in with I've all I, I, I sort of stole a mantra years ago from Gary Marshall when I met him. And he said, you know, the four words that'll get you through anything are my fault moving on. Because my that, fault moving on. Yeah. Wow. Because it's just like, you can sit here, we can argue with everybody all day, but it's amen, my fault amen. moving on. Amen. Elaine Stritch, in that last performance that I saw her in, that was what it was. It's like, it's on me. We're going to go back and start. We're going to do it right. And one of the biggest things for me that is missing in a lot of folks that I've worked with is that sense of personal accountability as opposed to covering yourself. Yeah. People are great at covering themselves. But to be able to say, you know, oh, screwed it up, going to go back, going to do it again, we're going to do this right, and and to announce that you've made a mistake as opposed to waiting for people to notice. Very interesting. Yeah. Very that, interesting. That's what, that, that's what makes her and that song special to me. I've always liked her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, she she has a a, a great uh, song that she, Noel Coward wrote, wrote for her that was called uh, "Why Do the Wrong People Travel." I could listen. <laughs> I could listen to that song forever. Just Why about do the how, wrong how terrible people Americans travel? Americans are abroad, and people who should be staying home are going out. The people who should be traveling should be. If yeah. this gives you any idea of what kind of a woman Elaine Stritch is, by the way, that song is called "I'm Still Here." She said, and I cut it out of the the piece, but she said right before she started singing, she's like, "I've heard women in their 60s and their 50s, God, even in their 40s, singing this song. Yeah. You haven't earned the right to sing this song till you're 80." <laughs> I think she's right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think she's right, and that's why you hear the, the laugh. Like, why are you? What are you laughing at? Yeah. <laughs> I'm singing it. It's great. So good. Sondheim is amazing also. Right. Actually, this is from the show um, The Follies. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Sure. And he wrote this song as kind of an add-in, like a last-minute song, because the original one, Can That Boy Foxtrot, he was like, oh, it's not really working for me here. So yeah. they cut that and added this on like an out-of-town audition or something crazy like that. So. Oh, it's, it's an amazing piece. It, it, it's a, that's another one that just – I have a friend of mine that every Friday she posts, uh, it's Friday, what's your good news? Uh, and then my response is always a picture of Elaine Stritch that says I'm still here. At the <laughs> so for three years, there's been an Elaine Stritch on every Friday. How are you doing? It's like, yeah, I'm not a 90 year old, 80 or 90 year old woman, but I am. I am in fact still here. There is somewhere the inside of you, Troy, an 80 or 90 year old woman. Well, as it is, I hope she doesn't go shopping for clothes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Song number four, five, five. Gonna build a mountain. From a little hill Gonna build me a mountain At least I hope I will Alright, Sammy Davis Jr. Build me a mountain gonna build it high. Why this song, Troy? Where's it Why not this song? <laughs> <laughs> where does it take me? It's, it's again, it's that thing where I had a, a period of time where, you know, you work in, I've worked in reality TV for 20 years and I've had those moments where I feel like what is this kind of going towards? Like, I thought reality television was going to go in a particular direction, and I don't think that that we've taken advantage of the opportunity to do a lot of the things we could. So, uh, such as? Such as, I, I think we haven't really done enough exploration of real people. Um, the occupational shows are very authentic in a lot of ways. 
There are a lot of things that are emotionally authentic. I think there are types of people on reality television that we don't see a lot of uh, outside of reality television, which is great. But I really feel it's sort of like where are the older people in reality television? Oh, yeah. Where are the where are the people who have had you know extensive life experience? Where the the focus is more on money and and you know if you've got money you're interesting if you're a celebrity you're interesting i don't believe that's necessarily true well i i i'm watching a lot of this like classic television on these really far out little networks like this tv yes. and me tv and uh we recently learned how to use our our roku and yes. on pluto i'm watching some original 50s dragnets mm-hmm. in a real choppy black and white format <clears throat> and to that point why not? Why isn't somebody doing image pieces with some of the people that are still alive? Because that is that audience yeah, growing well, for old time TV? Well, I, I see. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I feel like, well, to the point, let me address the point of the song. and I'll mm-hmm. come right back to it. Sure, sure. I really, when I was coming to Los Angeles, had that song on my brain all the way out. And it was like, I am going to do a thing that matters. And if you stop anybody on the street and you go, I Name th- name three famous reality TV producers. They're going to say Mike Fleiss. They're going to say Mark Burnett. And they're not going to have a third because I don't think people in general know who those people are. Mm-mm. So the, it's kind of a song that I listen to, mm-hmm. A, because it makes me feel productive, but also because there's there it, it's, it's a little bit ironic in that I wanted to come out here and be. And when I got into reality TV, it was like, this is a totally different thing. It feels brand new. I'm going to be the king of this thing because I'm just going to like, I'm going to tell great stories and I'm going to get to do this. And I so often feel like I'm on the edge of it. I'm on the lip of it. And then it, it, it doesn't happen. There are certain shows I've been so lucky to be on. There are shows that have gone into rooms to try to sell where it's just at that moment. It's not something that belongs somewhere. And reality television I, I again it's that thing where it's just like i wanted to come out here and build something huge and i'm at a point now where you know i'm 50 i'm creating some game shows i have i'm doing some things i have a lot of you know my my schedule is nice and full with meetings and possibilities and working with this person working with that person but i don't feel like i'm there yet mm-hmm. and i'm i kind of need that reassurance that there's stuff ahead of me and this is a fantastic song to do that too i hadn't thought about it mm-hmm. in a while and i just heard it on uh, the righteous gemstones in their finale which is a wonderful series on hbo um and it just kind of crawled its way back out of my brain and now it's kind of like the it's almost like a morning meditation like i'm gonna build something i don't know what it is i don't know if it's in reality television i'm trying to write scripted stuff again which is what i wanted to do 20 years ago not that it's any better or worse, but it's something different. And I just, you know, I, I got certified as a life coach this year. What? I, took a, I took a 13 week course. Congrats. Really? Yeah. yeah. Because I was just like, you know, I don't know if, if you've ever, I mean, David, you know, you're familiar with me on Facebook, but it's just sort of like every day. It's like, what's, what's the, what's the positive thing that I can share what's the truthful thing well, that well, I can share? Well, you bring share? up an interesting point because we're part of a collection of people, actors, you know, fresh new talent like yeah. Maggie, and yeah. then you know dinosaurs like Paul Kozlowski, and everybody in between, and even beyond. Um, and we we come together for these brief, intimate uh, interludes of 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 creativity and enjoy. But how much do I really know you at all? And the fact mm-hmm. that you're you you were doing a life coach thing, and 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 the fact that like a lot of times I'm like Troy's got a locked in career, thirty plus gigs. Yeah. You know, this, that, and the other, and, and you're today saying, I'm still starting. You know, that's inspirational to me. Well, to and, some- and, well the thing is, even the people you know that are incredibly successful yeah. have realized there's no there there. Yeah, which you're is so not, true. You're never on top of a mountain. <laughs> you can appreciate and be grateful for all the wonderful things that have yeah. happened to you, but there's no there's no finish line where you go, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Wow. You know, I... I the documentary I'm working on right now, I, I'm talking to a lot of people that have worked in both reality television and scripted uh, about reality television, how people feel about how that work is received. Amazing. And there are people I've talked to that have, you know, created sitcoms that have gone on to become these massive, you know, multi-million, if not billion-dollar global enterprises. 
well, and they still feel like, well, I'm going to do this other thing. One, it, of, one of them's making a documentary, made a documentary himself two years ago because he hadn't made a documentary. There you go. And that, that's, that's your inspiration for the song. What's a nugget attached to this sucker? I'll take a nugget. I don't know that much about the background on this one. It's a it's dark. Um, oh dear. It's yeah. Um, Sammy Davis Jr. served in World War II. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. I did not know he was a veteran. I did he was drafted at 18 years old and unfortunately experienced a lot of abuse by like white soldiers from the South. Um, and it was in fights like every two days. So his nose that's like permanently flat now it's because of being in the. In the army, Um, he was eventually reassigned to special services and did performances for the troops while he was serving, um, and eventually had to even perform in front of a lot of the soldiers that were abusing him. But he later said in an interview that my talent was the weapon, the power, and the way for me to fight. It was the one way I might hope to affect a man's thinking. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, that's real. I didn't know he was a veteran, and that's it. I guess he had to keep it a little bit more into raps back in the day than someone might today in terms of the abuse. That's so, yeah. that's really something. Well, he was a he was a hell of an interesting person. Yeah. Oh, the, the family. So, the family he came yeah. from. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. No joke. Wow. So. What, a, what a five. What a five. No kidding. Thank you. Actually, I wanted to ask you one question yeah, yeah. Uh, before we move on, because reality TV, I'm in my mid-30s, and reality TV to someone my age and younger is – the Kardashians. That's sure. what we think of as like reality TV. And there's such like a very strong divide on like what, how, how people feel about that show. Sure. It's very, it's very black and white. There is no like, eh, whatever. It's very like, I hate them or I love them. Well, I'm going to quote somebody who explained it to me very well. I've always been very upset that like the Hollywood Walk of Fame came out in 2011 and said that, you know, people ask if we'll have reality stars on the Walk of Fame. The answer is all caps, hell to the no, exclamation point. Oh, no. And I thought, you know, the Kardashians, uh, I interviewed uh, Sarah Pavi for the documentary. She goes, they move the needle as much as anybody. Yeah. She says, here's Kris Jenner, whose entire family have have managed to make millions of dollars. Not that that's an end thing in itself, but it, they're a beacon for young female entrepreneurs to do different things. You know, mm. there's Kylie Jenner that's out there with mm-hmm. this, you know, this massive, you know, empire that she's made at her age. Uh, I think they're fascinating people, and I think that they've accomplished a lot. Uh, I'm not sure how much I enjoy the show, <laughs> but I also know that I'm not the target audience mm-hmm. for that show. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like, it's very easy. Like when I lecture. I used to put an index card in my pocket when I'd speak at colleges and universities. On one side, it said the Kardashians, and on the other side, it said zero. And I would say, when you taught, when there'd be somebody would say, you know, how does it feel to be contributing to the downfall of Western civilization working in reality shows? People actually asked you that. Yeah, well, college students, you know, they get up in a Tarantino shirt and they go, well, that's. If I may interject that you're not doing anything significant with your life. Um, and, and I would say, well, like, what's, a, what's an example of a bad show? And they go, well, like the Kardashians. I'm like, how many times have you seen it? Well, I haven't seen it. And I take the card out and I go, can somebody read one side of this card and read the other side? It says Kardashians, zero. I said, that's what everybody who's going to stand up and fight me about reality television is going to say. They're going to throw out the thing that they haven't even seen, but that they've heard is trashy. So it must be trashy. Yeah. You know, we don't form, we don't take the time to form our own opinions as much as we should. Mm-hmm. Right? It's sort of like if somebody tells me that such and so is an awful person, I'm going to be like, well, geez, I hope I never get to work with that guy. And then you work with them and it's like, yeah. You know, what a, what a dream to work for that person. Like, what, what kind of a jerk told me they were a jerk? And how many people did I tell they were a jerk because this other person told me they were a jerk? So you're, you're staying with it. That's, that's, I'm staying with it. Here's yeah. the thing I, I, I think reality has a long way to go. But boy, has it been fun to watch Mike Rowe and Anthony Bourdain and yes. Mythbusters and all these things. I don't learn how to fix a sink or install a shower or bake a pie watching scripted material. I'm not saying that one's better than the other, but I'm saying reality television is every bit as valid as scripted has ever been. And with the production costs on reality being what they are, they're keeping a lot of these scripted networks and, and and folks they're doing scripted stuff afloat if you're putting a, a million or two million an episode into something you know it's gonna it's costing you a lot of money well my wife is a master chef brazil fan oh so and i i, I thought we, you were going to stop at master chef brazil and i was going to say i had never heard that no no it's, yeah. it's that it's a reality show right? master chef yes, the, the yes, competition 
and it's entirely in Portuguese, and I'm riveted. Yeah. We've been watching it for two years now. It doesn't even matter. I mean, just the genuine human emotion when you capture those exchanges yes. is it's like driving by a car wreck. I mean, it's yeah. really we want to watch that stuff. Well, and I think it, it, it makes us want to be better, smarter people and learn how to do things when you watch instructional type shows. Thank you for saying that, too, because I would never have thought like Mythbusters. I would never have put that in oh, the reality does. genre. Right. Like I, the cooking shows to me, it would like. It's Project Runway. That's a reality show. Sure. You know, but it's, you're right. It's the raw human emotion. You're kind of learning about how to use materials you wouldn't use. Yeah. And it's, I know. I'm well, I, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to tell you that uh, I got a sewing machine after after watching that show. You're not embarrassed I, to say it, Troy. I you are proud of that machine. I never took machine. it out of the box, but I, <laughs> okay. I would, my, my friend Patricia bought, bought me a sewing machine because I talked about it so much and I never took it out of the box. I was like, oh, man. Troy has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. Uh, More, we've, we've seen a few now. Yeah, your fake right. five were absolutely incredible. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. Let's take a brain break, shall we? And I'm mm-hmm. going to pass it over to David O. Waterman. Well, Ooh. thank you, Maggie Mayfield. This is time once again for Y-Tune Shuffle's exclusive game show. Is it the name of a bar or is it the name of a bar band? Bar name or band name is the name of this game. Mm-hmm. And today, Troy, you and Maggie will be hearing uh, the name of a, a local band right, and the name you. of a local bar that was selected by Mia, who was with us last week from Full Sail. Say it again, Dia. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and uh, how this game works is uh, every week we choose a different location somewhere in the world where I'll research different local bands and local bars, and I'll get the names of them. And then I'll present them, and you'll tell me which one's the name of the bar and which one's the name of the band. Does it make sense? It All makes right. sense. I could, I could repeat that entire thing, but I won't. Uh, we're in Manaqua, Wisconsin, uh, and it's in the holiday season, and we all want to go out. So I say, hey, guys, <clears throat> I heard that Polecat and Lace are going to be playing tonight at a Lost Connection. Great dance floor, great sound system. You want to go check it out? But I could just as easily say to you, hey, you guys, <clears throat> The loss, a lost connection is going to be playing at the Polecat and Lace later tonight. You want to go and check it out? So if we're in Monaco, Wisconsin, and we want to hear a band and go to a bar, which is the bar? Is it the Polecat and Lace is the bar? Or is it a lost connection, the bar? And is the band Polecat and Lace or a lost connection? Boy, I'm really spitting this out in a million directions. I'm like a rapid-fire machine gun. Monaco, Wisconsin, Polecat and Lace. A Lost lost Connection. connection. Yeah. Which one's the name of the band? Which one's the name of the bar? What are you thinking? Or is this me? Is this? I think Pol. I don't know what the answer is, but I think Polecat and Lace is the place. I think that's the the place. Polecat and Lace. I think it's a strip joint. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually am going to go with the opposite. So you, you believe Polecat and Lace is the band? Is the band. Okay, and, you, and you're saying, it's, Troy. It sounds like a duo and a lost connection I could absolutely believe is the name of a bar in Wisconsin. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, I think a lot of people would agree with you. And uh, so you guys are going in different directions. Yeah. If you happen to be in Monaco, Wisconsin, and you're at 427 Oneida Street. Oneida. I think it's Oneida. It's Oneida. It's O-N- Oneida? O-N-E-I-D-A, yeah. O-N-E-I-D-A, because we pronounce it Oneida. Oh, really? In upstate New York, because it's an Indian tribe. Oh, that's so fascinating. I just lived in Wisconsin. I was like, oh, it's Oneida Oneida, Street. wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> see how, you see the things we learn here? Well, if you are at 427 Oneida, Oneida, that's how you say it, potato, <laughs> potato, you would be at the Polecat and Lace. Oh, wow. Oh, it's got delicious bar foods, great mixed drinks, and easy... Easy parking. Come on down, check them out. Call 715. Yes. 715-356-3335 is their number. You can go to Polecat and Lace, all words spelled exactly as they're spelled, dot com, and you can find out more about this place. And if you want to hear some great tunes, just about 100 miles south in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, is a band called A Lost Connection. They're a pop punk rock outfit. Just a bunch of guys. Uh, wanting to pursue their dreams in music. Aaron All is the lead guitarist. Landon Harriman is the bass player. Kyle Miller on drums and Taylor Hansen on vocals. 
It's music that'll certainly make your head nod, according to their website. That's hilarious. Thank you very much for playing Band Name or Bar Name. You are a winner today, Troy. I, I'm leaving knowing more than I came in with, <laughs> which, is in, which is in keeping with my theme. Yeah, it's it's all about the intro and outro of this. The game is like two <laughs> seconds, but I get to run my mouth constantly. Now you have a job to do, Troy. Uh, oh, you're going to take us any place, anywhere in the world, and then I will spend, um, you know, all week for about an hour, uh, researching the area and finding band names and bar names. So where are we going to go next week, Troy? Oh, dear. Well, I, I guess you're going to have to go to uh, where I grew up uh, in Tampa, Florida. Nice. Tampa, Florida. Which has quite a quite a happening uh, music scene going on. Home so. of the Devil Rays. Home of the Devil Rays. Wow. Perfect. Home of, home of my dad now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right, okay. Thinking very hard, we would love to hear the memory of your very first concert experience. My very first concert experience <laughs> ever. Uh, I I am I am mixed up on the dates. I know it's one of two. Okay. It is either seeing Weird Al Yankovic yes. at the Rocket Club in Tampa, Florida. Yes. Wow! Wow! Or seeing Paul McCartney on the Flowers in the Dirt tour <laughs> at, at, at Tampa Stadium. I don't know which of those came first. It's a total. Wow. It's totally mashed in my brain, but I'm happy to tell you about either of them. They were both delightful. Any details that stood out in either one of them or both? Yeah, I, I remember when I went to see McCartney, there were two gals that I had gone to high school with that wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm not camping outside Ticketmaster to get tickets, but they were like, let's go camp outside. I said, I'll pay for them if you'll camp out. Oh, nice. I've never felt like more of a capitalist D-bag in my life. So you paid for all three of your tickets? So I paid for the three tickets in exchange for them camping out to get tickets. Wow. So we ended up in the third row. Jeez. I missed a lot of the show because there was a guy in front of me with a poster board that said, we'll still need you, we'll still feed you when you're 64. What an idiot. Yeah, what an idiot. <laughs> Blocking your but I enjoyed the, We enjoyed the show. We watched you know Linda on stage playing. and. Uh, and, cool. and Paul out there in front, and they had this beautiful concert film that they had produced that they ran before the show. What was what was the venue? Uh, was was Tampa Stadium? Tampa Stadium. Tampa Stadium. Mm -hmm. I, I saw Elton John and Billy Joel there several years later. Wow! But uh, and I'm not a big concert guy. Those are big um, concerts. But those yeah. were that's yeah. When well, your first exposure is you know Paul McCartney or Al Yankovic. What's the Rocket Club like? The Rocket Club is exactly like any place. <laughs> uh, it was, like, it, I would like, describe it the same way that there's a comedian that describes most of the venues he plays in as former laser tag venues. Nice. <laughs> it just had that kind of vibe. Uh, but it was fantastic. It was one of those places where if you were on stage and you jumped, you'd smash your head into the overhead, the lighting. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Because cool. it was such a cramped little, little place. Cool. But that was a lot of fun. That is cool. Yeah. Well, thinking very hard, what is the last show that you saw most recently? Uh, most recently, well, it's funny. I think, uh, I mean, again, I say I don't, I don't go to concerts really often. Uh, I, I saw Allie Willis perform her oh. own songs. Yeah. Uh, at, at Vitello's uh, a, a while ago, she has a big show. Is that she, up here in Studio City? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. it's um, Michael it's, Feinstein has since taken over the yeah, space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great, great yeah. room, yeah. great room. Vitello's. It's a, it's a wonderful. We got to get her to Kathy Ladman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got to oh, do a set that. of Vitellos. Yeah. Oh, Kathy Ladman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. You heart radio, I heart Kathy Ladman. Yeah, hello. <laughs> she makes me laugh like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the time of the show where it's all about you. What's your corner of the internet? How do we find out about projects you're working on? Help you maybe fund projects you want to work on? Well, you can find me at realitytvbook.com. Cool. You can also find me on Facebook, either as Troy Devald, if you would like to have weird inspirations. That's T-R-O-Y, last name Devald, D-E-V-O-L-L-D. You can find me on Instagram at Remember We're Not Here, with no punctuation, including the apostrophe, all one word, running together. Remember, we're not here. Perfect. Uh, there's clips from the documentary that I've been working on uh, that Which you can check out there. Again? It's called Remember We're Not Here. Got it. And it's uh, about three dozen people who work in reality television and scripted television uh, talking about reality TV and how that work is received by critics, fans, and how the people who work in it feel about uh, feel about it. All started, I was at a, I'll tell you this story. Yeah. Uh, I was at a party in 2003. I was the only non-famous person at the party. I was trying to figure out what my conversational on-ramp was. Walked up to a bunch of guys, waited for someone to say something. I said... Oh yeah, da 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 da. 
huge A-list star turns to me and goes, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't met you yet. My name is blank. I said, well, it's nice to meet you. I said, and he says, do you work in the industry? I said, yeah. I said, I make reality shows. And he gets really quiet for a second and then punches me on the shoulder and says, someday for you, buddy. And then turns away from me and starts talking to the group again. Oh. Like physically like closing the circle. Oh, no. And I got so mad. And I'm like, like reality TV is so much of a less than that you have to be like this to a total stranger at a party. But it happens over and over again. Oh, no. That reality TV, people perceive it as being this less than. And I think that at its best, it's as good or better than a lot of scripted. But, you know, it's it's like anything else. You know, there's a couple of gems in the middle and a lot of detritus yeah. surrounding it. Um, but it's just that thing where I just I wanted people to know that, you know, I've worked with people in reality television that are Harvard graduates, you mm-hmm. know, I, and people who have, have worked very hard to make these shows good and to make these shows count. Uh, and it's it's just something that I wish got the tiniest bit of respect. I would not be surprised if you're the guy to do it. Yeah. I, I And uh, let me know if there's anything in it for me. So uh... <laughs> your, pan, your passion is very clear, and, and thank you for sharing that and, and telling us your story through your music. So, oh, my pleasure. Troy DeVold, it's been amazing. Uh, David Earl Waterman, a.k.a. Hollywood Secret Weapon. This has been fun. It's always fun. It's so good to see you again. I've been Maggie Mayfield. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, and share. We are on all the socials at iTunes Shuffle. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.